This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, Conference USA edition for the Week 5 recap and Week 6 previews. Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry here with you as always for UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for the Group of Five and the FCS. Uh, Coming up in a little bit, we're going to have FIU football head coach Mike McIntyre on to talk about a historic win for the program that they were able to earn in Las Cruces, New Mexico against New Mexico State this past weekend. Folks are counting them out, but... Eric Henry, as we talked about last week, I called it. I was a little bit proud of myself for that one. Not going to lie. Yeah, Joe. I mean, listen, you called it. I did not. Uh, I picked Mexico State in my game preview, and I believe I picked them on the podcast as well. So I, I will give you credit. Just, you know, we'll dive into a full recap, obviously, with Coach Mack and and following that. But I, the reason I didn't pick FIE was because I just thought, given how banged up they're on the offensive line and how young they are on the offensive line, I, I just felt that I, I couldn't see that really shifting in just a week to be able to really, Joe, dominate the line of scrimmage the way they did. I know the majority of the audience did not see that game. The reason I know this is because, again, it, it was on Flow Sports. So unless you were willing to fork out the 1999 for one contest, uh, because it is a paid subscription service, you, you did not take in that game. Uh, uh, you know, you didn't watch that game. So uh, you'll have to kind of take my word for as far as FIU's offensive line really dominating the line of scrimmage and the defensive line came around as well. So yeah, that uh, was unexpected, but a great building block first as we'll talk about with Coach Mack, the first FBS win since November of 2019, the upset of Miami, and the first road win. They knocked them out both, Joe. First road win of any kind since November 17th of 2018 at Charlotte. If he had told me it was going to be that long since I would have a chance to cover both those things for FIU, uh, I, I would not have believed you. But hey, it, it is over. It was a long drought and it was a huge win for sure. And, you know, we'll talk about it a lot more with Mike McIntyre, as you said, but was impressed with the tempo, impressed with how they played and uh, excited to dive into the X's and O's of that with coach coming up. But, you know, I think for you, this was your first time in the it was this was your first time in New Mexico. I know because you flew into West Texas. Right. And then got a chance to, you know, check out the scene a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was absolutely my first not the first time in West Texas, you know, I guess if you would consider Lubbock, West Texas, uh, covered the game there last year at Texas Tech. But first time in El Paso, first time in New Mexico, Joe, uh, A, we have, you know, great people who have a chance to follow our work here at UDD. Want to give a shout out to Andy Morgan, who's come on the podcast with us a couple years back to help us preview UTEP. Shout out Colin Deaver as well. Uh, local sports anchor there in El Paso. Got a chance to chop it up with him in the press box. Uh, Jason Groves as well from the Las Cruces outlet out there. So definitely some people I had a chance to uh, chop it up with. And I think I mentioned this to you off air, but I will mention it to you on air, Joe. The community of El Paso, for any of our audience that are UTEP listeners, El Paso based in general, 
I have heard how welcoming and you know how hospitable and all those things people, the folks of El Paso are, but it's not something that you can truly appreciate until you're on the ground there. Incredible community, really welcoming. I mean, just top to bottom, people were just incredible. Uh, so thank you, El Paso, for you know making that trip really wonderful. And I'll be back in seven weeks when FIU takes on the minors. There you go. Pulling, uh, pulling the, uh, what's it called? The daily double, except that's not the daily, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> excited to get to West Texas and New Mexico myself, uh, later this year. That's, that's going to be a fun time for sure. And, um, for now let's jump into results from the weekend in the weeknight game. I believe it was under the Friday night lights in Murfreesboro. We had UTSA beating the blue Raiders 45 to 30. Um, of note for UTSA in this game, Frank Harris broke his own record for passing yards in a game with 414 yards. Second time he broke that record in the span of about a week uh, for the senior quarterback there. Um, solid day for the running game too, particularly in the second half as the Roadrunners total 167 yards in that category. Um, for me, for Middle Tennessee, you have to give it up for the Blue Raider defense as they pick off Frank Harris on three straight drives in the second half. And if that offense had been able to capitalize more on those turnovers, this might have been a big win for MTSU. But unfortunately for the Blue Raiders as a team, uh, they they just looked gassed in the second half, but they left it all out there. There was no shortage of effort, just couldn't quite get everything to come together at the same time. Yeah, Joe, no, I think you did a great job kind of summarizing that. You hit the nail on the head there. They had to settle for one, two, three. Zeke Rankin field goals. All, and the thing that that's tough, Joe, is I think the longest of those was 34 yards, right? And the shortest I want to say was like 26 or 25 yards. So what does that tell you? They're getting deep inside of middle, uh, deep inside of middle Tennessee, deep inside of UTSA territory, but just not able to, you know, as you mentioned, get across the goal line. So even in terms of, you know, the turnovers that played a factor, but their own offensive drives, not being able to get, sevens instead of threes that's the biggest thing in my mind that you know i mean obviously turnovers as well um middle tennessee had protected the ball but utsa gave enough chances but not able to turn those chances into points or into into touchdowns at least so that was the big thing in my mind and yeah when you have a guy like frank harris out there a quarterback if, if you if you're trading field goals with him eventually at some point in time he's going to make enough plays to win the game so that was really the big thing, my biggest takeaway from this contest. Uh, I mean, you know, take a look, Joe, early in the game, Chase Cunningham thought they they did some things in the first half, the kind of a continuation of, of the passing attack. Jalen Lane with 10 grabs for 179 yards, thought the uh, Yusuf Ali touchdown was a nice response. But again, UTSA, I, and I want to ask you this, Joe, and I'm, I'll probably make the same point when it comes to UAB. Does it concern you at all? Because you know me, I... I there are kind of two prisms you can view these contests through, right? A, you can look at the way the seasons played out. No one had middle beating Miami and the way things have played out for UTSA. And maybe look at this as entering the game as a little bit closer matchup than people anticipated. I honestly know that I fall in that category because, I mean, again, Joe, you kind of have, if you had asked anyone before the year, UTSA at middle, you think that's a 14 point game, more or less? I think most people would have said yes. So that's kind of my question for you is when you do the comparison here on what you thought of both these teams entering the year, and then the comparison maybe, you know, three or four days before this game, it kind of lines up, right? I mean, or, or does it not line up for you? I think it lines up for the most part. First of all, Chase Cunningham has exceeded my expectations. You look at what he did in this game, he threw the ball 56 times. I mean, you know, I think to what we've been saying about Middle Tennessee 
for a long time, you want that offense to be a little more balanced. And there was definitely the attempt to make that happen in this game. Just didn't quite have the running game where they've had at the last couple of, uh, of contests for them only got 84 yards in that category. Um, one touchdown for uh, Bra- uh, Darius Bracey, who um, had that that longer score, I believe, in the second half. But, um, you know, that's a part of the game for Middle Tennessee that still needs to evolve and continue to grow and, and progress. It's definitely progressed a lot since the start of the season, but it needs to keep going if they want to you know, make noise in conference play. And I think that's a big part of why they weren't able to, cat- um, to capitalize on the UTSA turnovers that you mentioned. When you get that deep into opposing territory, that's where your running game is really going to benefit you. And they, they didn't have that in spots. For UTSA, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know that I'm concerned. Um, definitely had a couple disappointing results in the losses here between uh, the Houston loss and the Texas loss. And you know, when I talked to Jeff Trailer at Conference USA Media Days, the thing that he had to say about Frank Harris that really stuck with me was how much of a perfectionist he is, and the ch- you know, not the challenge, but the thing that he makes a point of doing with Harris because he's such a perfectionist is just getting him to let the mistakes go and continue to you know be the veteran leader of this team not get rattled by the mistakes and i think you can argue that he did definitely had more mistakes than you would like to see a veteran quarterback make in this game but at the end of the day the bigger task is to be the leader for your team and continue to you know keep them in that winning mindset and do enough to get the victory over the finish line at the end and i think he did again when you look at that last drive where utsa scored to put that on ice uh, i believe it was brendan brady that had that you know uh, that decisive touchdown run uh, O-line was doing its job, running backs were doing its job, and they just had more left in the tank than MTSU. And I think that's the mark of a good veteran team. And hopefully they can continue to you know, use those habits later down the road if they want to re- uh, repeat as champions here. All right, moving on to the next result from Conference USA this weekend. Western Kentucky losing 34-27 to at home to Troy. A little extra sting in this loss for the Hilltoppers as they're unable to stop Jarrett Dakey, who, of course, lost the battle for that QB1 spot to Austin Reed in fall camp uh, this past offseason. Uh, Dakey completes seven of eight pass attempts with two touchdowns to lead Troy over the tops. WKU, of course, had the ball late in the fourth quarter with a chance to tie it up. But uh, Austin Reed loses the ball on a sack with about a minute left there. So a uh, hard fought game. Tough to see if you're a Tops fan. Um, but, you know, as Tyson Helton said post game, you got beat fair and square. And I mean, it really could not have been a more like storybook win <laughs> for for Jared Diggy. Um, So, I'm, I mean, I'm happy for him for sure. Uh, Troy's a good team, but um, you got to be frustrated with the, uh, you know, kind of the lack of a pass defense, um, particularly in the earlier parts of the game here when Connor Watson was still in the game. And, you know, you're not going to make every every play when your back's up against the wall like that. But, you know, the way Austin Reed's been playing really looked like he was uh, going to make something happen there late. Joe, you know what I find most disappointing? And listen, here's the thing. I, I, I'm sure you had a chance to see some of the conversation during the week. I, I saw a lot of... Western Kentucky fans, you know, really, really excited is the wrong word, but I think maybe they were emboldened by just how decisively they beat FIU. And I kind of wanted to chime in there and say, hey, guys, you're not 73 points better than the rest of FBS. Now, styles make fights. And as we'll talk about, you know, after our, our, our segment with Coach Mack, 
they're definitely 73 points better than FIU in terms of the fact that Austin Reed is really good in that offense, as his numbers showed against Troy going 39 to 56 with 406 and three touchdowns. And the Western Kentucky defensive line, uh, really both lines, much more experienced than FIU's side of things. So I, I, I guess I, I wasn't making as much of the win as maybe some of the Hilltopper faithful were. And what I thought was disappointing, Joe, was, you know, you talked about some of the the passing success for Troy. And, you know, the numbers are, I guess, above average, 23 to 37 for 283 touchdowns. Uh, Garrett Dagey came in and threw the two touchdowns. And then, of course, Tez Johnson on, on the play there had a touchdown as well. But I, I thought there was enough in terms of that front seven, Joe, to perform better than they did against the run. That's really what, of all the things I took from the FIU game, what was really encouraging in terms of Western that I wanted to see how they transition over was defending the run. I thought those guys up front, you know, played really well. I wanted to see how that would carry over. So in my mind, that's really what's disappointing. But listen, for any Conference USA fans who are not familiar, Carlton Marshall is the real deal. He is the all-time leading tackler in Sunbelt history. Again, I think I talked about him last week at 5'8", 205 pounds. You know, a, a very, very, I mean, he's a guy who who knows what his NFL prospects may be, but just in terms of being a college athlete, he's one of the tops in college football. And then Javon Solomon as well. So those guys performed well enough to have enough defensive stops or enough defensive plays to limit Western to 27, which quite frankly, it's a really good number, but yeah, Joe, that was my big takeaways. I guess I was a little bit disappointed that the defense didn't specifically against the run, weren't able to transition that over from the FIU game into this game. Solid points about the the run defense, especially when you look at Troy DK Billingsley, their senior running back there uh, ended up with 122 yards on 24 carries and a touchdown in this game. Uh, anytime you give a guy 5.1 yards per carry, then you're kind of creating trouble for yourself. And as far as Troy's front seven goes, you can't have enough uh, positive adjectives to describe them. Carlton Marshall's fantastic. Uh, Javon Solomon's fantastic. Um, their, their defensive end who I, I just wrote about. Um, oh, now it's going to bug me. Um, he's a third year sophomore. Oh, shoot. TJ Jackson, he's leading the Sun Belt with seven and a half tackles for loss. He obviously played a big part in this game as well. So, you know, I, I think it's weird when you're playing against FIU. Austin Reed kind of hit on this a little bit in his post uh, post game media availability. When you already kind of have that cushion early, you have that confidence to kind of try a little more uh, creative play calling and, you know, do some stuff. You're just more comfortable in your own style right and the fact that western found themselves down in this game i think they they had a little more extra pressure on themselves and that's not the kind that's not the kind of situation where this western team thrives clearly as we've seen in the last uh these last few games here at, at least this version of this western team in 2022 here yeah i mean all good points on your your on your part there uh, i know as far as the western and the things like i said i'll be super interested to see how they respond because a win over troy granted again you know it's a non-conference game so at least you're still able to achieve all the things you want to do in conference but a win over troy would have put them at four and one and in my mind when you take a look at some of the other results we had over the weekend 
that would put Western in, 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 almost in the driver's seat or maybe the driver's seat is too strong, but definitely in terms of a, a favorite down the stretch in terms of saying, hey, you know, they could be right there for a conference title. It's not to say that they can't be again because this was a non-conference game, but if you look at them in four and one, you'd have to have them in the conversation as far as one of the top teams in Conference USA. Right now, three and two, they feel like they're just in the middle of a pack of, uh, quite frankly, a large pack of teams that are going to be looking to break out here in the next few weeks. Exactly. So we'll see how they continue to develop here. Um, let's move on to North Texas and FAU. That result ended up being 45 to 28 in favor of the Mean Green. Uh, one of the more complete performances that we've seen from North Texas this year, 300 rushing yards as a team, three passing touchdowns by Austinani. Uh, they picked off two FAU passes, both of which were by uh, Ridge Texada, or it might be Tejada, I'm not sure, one of, uh, one of which was a pick six. Um, and then on the FAU side, you also had a pick six by TJ Young. So, you know, really liked what I saw from Seth Luttrell's squad this year. Obviously, the frustration continues to be, why can't they play like this on a, on a consistent basis? But, you know, that defense especially really did what they needed to do against an FAU team that has a lot of weapons, as we've talked about, uh, particularly, you know, Nikosi Perry. Um, he got a little banged up in this one, um, rolled his ankle, according to Willie Taggart, on uh, his media availability on Monday morning. So it could be worth keeping an eye on his progression this week. Certainly would be tough to lose him. Um, but, you know, to, to keep the conversation on the winners in this game, North Texas, um, loved what I saw from them, uh, would love to see them do a little more consistently defensively joe how many times and this is not a rhetorical question how many times have i come on here over the past two or three years and talked about the north texas defense about 70 million <laughs> listen north texas's defense doesn't have to be what they were against utep all they have to do and i'm saying that in air quotes because i understand it's not easy to go out there and play defense these are you know college athletes and these are uh, it's division one it's fbs it's difficult however they allowed 21 points because TJ Young had an INT return. If they can, Joe, if they can hold teams to somewhere between 24 and 30 points a game, North Texas is enough on offense to win, to win this league. Between the run game, Austin Ani, when they don't ask him to do too much, can be a guy who throws three touchdowns and one interception and, and you know completes enough of his passes. And they have enough talent as far as the skill positions on the outside to be able to excel. But again, it's going to come down to defense. I, I I may have jumped the gun there in congratulating Phil Bennett for turning the corner as far as defense. So I'm not going to do it just yet because I think I learned my lesson the past few weeks. But as you said, consistency, consistency, consistency. We'll have to see what happens going forward. But in talking about conference wins, they're 2-0 and in conference. That's a huge help, even though they're 3-3. Three and three. For the FAU side of things, Joe, now this one, again, not a rhetorical question. What do you make of the Owls? Because two and four, the loss to Purdue was tough. We saw the Big Ten come out and say, hey, we missed a call. That one probably should have went your guys' way. We've broken down the loss to UCF and that they started quick and weren't able to hold things. Talked ad, ad nauseum about the loss to Ohio. I think the hope amongst the FAU faithful was that, okay, we got through our Power Five games. We had our stumble against Ohio. We're going to go into conference play and make some things happen. That wasn't the case. So I'm just curious your read on things from the FAU side of things. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think if you look at this schedule through the eyes of, of someone in the preseason, um, it would have been understandable if FAU had come in and thought, you know, these first few weeks are, are tough with, you know, um, UCF, 
Purdue, a game against a North Texas team that's fickle. So, you know, I think it would have been realistic for FAU fans to expect like three losses in there. I think that Ohio one was, was pretty surprising to me, at least, um, at least given what Ohio did last year, but coming out of this stretch, you would have looked at these, these next few weeks with rice coming to town, a trip to El Paso to face UTEP, you know, you would have thought, all right, well, there's that, that opportunity where we can, you know, for lack of a better term, sleepwalk and, and continue to get wins. That's not the case. Now, as we've seen with the massive improvement that Rice has shown in the last few weeks, UTEP, of, of course, has, um, you know, turned it into gear, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. So, yeah, now it's it's really put up or shut up time. You're at two and four. You can't really uh, deal with too many more bad performances like what they had um, against some of these other teams that they played this year. And you got to keep people healthy. You know, people like uh, like Nikosi Perry, that running back room, you got to make sure they have what they need in order to continue playing the way that they've played in this early part of the season. Despite the losses, they're putting up some good numbers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're putting up good numbers, but the thing is, is they're not finishing. I mean, we saw that against UCF when they mm-hmm. they got down there and the goal line can't get seven. You know, it's it's consistency. And listen, I like Brent Dearman a lot. I, I think, it, again, it, you know, we're now six games into the year, so we're at that or six games a year for FAU. Um, so we're at that halfway point. I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen some good things from the Brent Dearman offense. Uh, or so let me rephrase that, because uh, I like the offense. We've seen some good things from the players in this Brent Dearman offense, but we've also seen some times where they've just gone stone cold. Uh, 26 of 50 just isn't going to cut it. And listen, I think Nikosi Perry, um, I've talked about it a lot. Like, I think Nikosi Perry is a really talented guy. Um, but the 26 of 50, you know, and part of that is they're throwing the ball a lot, trying to come back with the two picks. That's going to be tough as well. So I would like to see them maybe get a little more established on the ground and allow that to guide things for Nikosi Perry as they were able to do kind of in the early going and their wins that, you know, maybe would, would lead to a little more success in terms of the offense for FAU. The margin of error is incredibly small. I think that's kind of the the quickest way to summarize it for, for FAU these next few weeks. They need to, as you said, finish. They need to be able to take advantage of the talent we know they have um, of the prolific uh you know play calling and play designing ability that we know brent dearman and willie tagger have they just need to get things done <laughs> and you know for their sake hopefully they can do it these next couple of weeks because they have a tough uh stretch to end the season as well with a home date against uab you have the shula bowl which you know i think they'll win that but fiu is is shown that they are also on a path towards improvement um, then you have MTSU and Western Kentucky to round out the year again, like you have kind of passed your chances for, for wins to pad your resume and, you know, get the, some of the pressure off of Willie Taggart's back as we've talked about before, but you know, here we are two and four time to put up or shut up. Then in Charlotte, UTEP beating the minors 41 to 35 UTEP. They scored 40 plus points for the first time, Eric, since 2016. And also the first ever win in the Eastern time zone for UTEP in however many years they've been a program. So uh, congrats to them on on those two achievements. And, you know, for me, what kind of stuck out to me was uh, a few critical explosive plays for UTEP that could not have come at, you know, worse times for Charlotte, Um, you know, including Gavin Hardison's 58 yard touchdown pass. Jadrian Taylor's 100-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Always love to see big man touchdowns. Um, Really, Charlotte had plenty of chances to win it, and they just continually did not get it done in the clutch. I mean, it doesn't get more unclutch 
than turning it over on your opponent's one yard line. That almost is kind of a, I don't want to say a synopsis of the Charlotte season, but you, you can't allow two fumble returns for touchdowns and, and expect, especially given the way that Charlotte is performing defensively. I mean, listen, you take away those 14 points, they, they only allow 27. And at, at one point in time, I think they, they allowed what, two field goals? I think one. Um, yeah, one field goal. Just checking the notes here. Uh, Gavin Bachel, 22-yard field goal. I'm not saying it's an excellent defensive performance, Joe, but it's about damn well, damn good as you can expect from the Charlotte defense as far as, you know, where they are, <laughs> you know. Um, 21 of 37 for 349, four touchdowns. Elijah Spencer, you know, the third member of that quote unquote big three, he breaks out with seven grabs for a buck 60 and a score. Shad Bird gives you 80 yards and a score. You, you, <laughs> that has to be enough given where Charlotte is this year to put themselves in position to win a game. But as we talked about, they got down early, you know, 24 seven turnovers didn't help things. And then, as I mentioned, you know, the, the fumble two having uh, two fumble returns go for scores. It's just not a recipe for success for Will Healy's team. But Joe, and again, I'll say this to, to you again. Uh, how many times have I talked about on this podcast over this year? UTEP playing efficient football offensively, specifically Gavin Hardison, a quarterback. 70 million and one. <laughs> I like the uh, addition of the one 10 of 14 for a buck 73 and three scores. I'm not saying you got to take the ball out of Gavin Hardison's hands. I mean, uh, we have heard, you know, Dana Dimmel and others around that program talk about how talented they think he is. But I just think that is a formula for success for UTEP right now. Deion Hankins, it's good to see him back. You know, he was banged up a lot last year, but the hometown hero who had a really good 2020 then ends up splitting time with Ronald Awat last year. Now, if you got a one-two punch with him and Awat, 20 carries for a buck 12, and then Tyron Smith is able to make the plays when they're there. There's more than enough defensively. So, you know, and that's without Breon Hayward. So in my mind, uh, all in all, I, I think this is the type of performance you'd expect, uh, the, type of, the type of performance that you're looking for from UTEP. And on the Charlotte side of things, again, just can't make those mistakes and expect to win given where they are right now this year. Yeah, I think that kind of sums up what I had in my notes. I, I, you know, you mentioned the running success that UTEP had. Good to see Deion Hankins and Ronald A. Watt combine for uh, close to 200 yards by themselves. And you also had a few more um, from the the rest of that running back room and, and Gavin Hardison as well. Um, so should be fascinating to see where they are. They're three and three at this point in the year. So they definitely have chances to get back to bowl eligibility for the second consecutive year. We'll see if they're able to do it. And I mean, we can't harp enough on how bad Charlotte's run defense has been. As we said, you know, you can't really if a team comes in playing the way that UTEP's been playing. And by that, I mean, just just inconsistency in terms of controlling the game and controlling the ball. You got to be better than that. Um, But, you know, credit to UTEP. They have improved that aspect of the game so much in the last few weeks. Like we saw it in the Boise State game. We saw it against the 49ers in this game. And that was the thing that really helped them, um, you know, that that helped them win against New Mexico State as well. So hopefully they can continue to play that kind of style if they want to get back to that uh, that spot that I mentioned. Yeah. So, Joe, really quick, because I, I want to throw this at you before we transition games here. Now, one in five for Charlotte. I mean, what's kind of your feel on things? I mean, I'm, I'm not asking if they're going to run the table, but I guess. If if they get to one and six, one and seven, I don't have the schedule pulled up directly in front of me. But I, I just want to know kind of what's your what's your read on Charlotte now, one and five, and zero and two in the conference. 
Yeah. I mean, given how they're playing, it's very, there's a very real chance that they finish this year with three wins, which is a regression, which is very unfortunate. And, you know, I don't know. It's tough to say with, with G5 teams, whether or not the expectations internally at Charlotte are high enough to where it's, you know, actionable. If you catch my drift, um, I, but yeah, it's, it's disappointing to see where they're at and not being able to finish games. Um, and there's only so much you can really put on, you know, injuries and that sort of thing. At the end of the day, they, they just haven't been executing in key situations. And this UTEP game was a prime example of that. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it'll be interesting. You know, their, their schedule, it, it, we've talked about it. You know, it, it's going to have some games there that, as you said, could have them at three wins, maybe four. And we'll have to kind of, you know, evaluate things as they get to that point and see, you know, kind of where they are as a program, especially, you know, face potential losing some some veterans at the end of this year to graduation. Yeah, I mean, they need this bye week. They need this bye week to, you know, potentially just get their minds right and <laughs> like really lay it all out there of what it's going to take to, um, you know, salvage some pride in this back half of the season. Oh, I don't want to think about this season being half over. Why did... Damn it. I hate that. I hate that's where we are right now. Uh, okay. Oh, we still have one game to get through <laughs> before before we bring in Coach Mack. Uh, Rice, 28. UAB, 24. Um, huge day for Rice as they outscore UAB 21-7 to in the second half of this one. And they definitely needed that as they were pretty stymied for the first half. Had no offensive yardage outside of that opening scoring drive there. Um, but the Owls are now 3-0 and at home to start the year and for UAB um, got to be frustrating. Um, I think they, they played the kind of style that they always play, which is, you know, control the ball, control the run game, but it, it just didn't really, uh, it didn't really pan out in this one for Brian Vincent and company. This was a really interesting game, Joe, because if you had told me, and, and I, this is one that I haven't had a chance to watch back in full. So I had to really kind of dive into the box score, check out, you know, our guy, Evan Dudley's recap and others. If you told me that Rice was going to throw for 104 yards, their leading rusher was going to have five carries for 34 yards, and yet, and 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 still in total, Joe Rice is going to be held to 209 yards, and they're going to win the game. I would have thought it just was a calamity of errors for UAB, and it wasn't necessarily that; it just was the turnovers. And of course, as we talked about, you know, points off of turnovers, Treshawn Chamberlain gets a, a fumble return, short fields, Ari Broussard gets two, you know, short TD runs. And, and, and then you look up and all of a sudden Rice is beating UTEP. So it's risking Rice is beating UAB. So it, this was one that I think, it, you know, in my mind, Joe, it kind of is piggyback off the point where I said you've got a kind of a cluster of teams who are all kind of in it here in the conference. Rice being three and two, UAB being two and two, uh, you know, Western Kentucky, three and two. You've got just a cluster of teams. And it's going to be really interesting in my mind as we kind of, you know, round into the, the you know, third quarter of the year, per se, to see which one of these teams is able to step up. I mean, Middle Tennessee's in there as well. Which one of the teams is able to step up and string together a nice little win streak? That's going to be interesting. But when you talk about UAB, again, I mean, I, I can't even fault them because how many times have I come on this podcast and talked about the, you know, the passing game being boom or bust? Well, 15 to 21 for 231, that's the type of game I would have advocated for in previous years. Dwayne McBride still gets his. 
you just have the little things that cost you a ball game. Yeah. CUSA is nothing if not a cluster, you know? Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. We've seen, um, UAB be able to play well in high pressure situations, but that really wasn't the case here. Um, you look at where they were, um, in the fourth quarter with about nine minutes left, they go on a 12 play 60 yard drive and then turn it over on downs. Um, despite getting all the way, uh, all the way to the rice, uh, 15, I believe. So that's, that's a big mistake. That one ultimately I think is going to stick with Bryant Vincent and company for a long time. And then you go back to the, um, the final drive there after rice punted it away with about a minute left. Um, and they just run out of time they're unable to kind of get where they need to go. They get, I think they finally got all the way to the, uh, rice 44 and just couldn't really, uh, get where they needed to be to set themselves up to score a touchdown to, to take that lead late. But, um, yeah, it, it's tough to see where this league is going right now in terms of who's going to win um, because everybody's so evenly matched. And that's definitely not at all what I was expecting heading into the season. That makes two of us. No doubt about that. All right. For this next segment, we're revisiting FIU's win over New Mexico State 21 to seven in Las Cruces. Welcome in head coach of the FIU Panther football program, Mike McIntyre. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Excited to dive into that win with you for a couple minutes here. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Uh, to you know, to start with, first win over an FBS team in a long time for FIU, first road win in a long time for FIU. How did it feel to be a part of that and be in that locker room afterward? Well, it was really exciting. Um, you know, we only had, I think there was only three young men in that locker room because um, one of them wasn't able to make the trip that um, had won, had won an FBS game or, and one on the road um, like that. So it's uh it was special for all those kids and um, for all the people involved with the program. Um, it was really special. It was, it was fun to be a part of it. Sure. Sounded like it from following the game on, uh, on social media and watching it uh, And your game prior to this one, you're coming off a 73 to zero loss to Western Kentucky. Um, and then obviously you come back and correct a lot of issues, get, uh, get out to that lead and hold it. How do you turn things around mentally to bounce back the way you did from that Western Kentucky loss? Well, our, our young, our coaches and our young men, um, you know, didn't blink. You know, we learned from our mistakes. We've been doing, improving. You know, a lot of the kids said, golly, Western Kentucky was so fast, and we were just barely off in a couple of them. It ended up being big plays with the inside of guys instead of outside or vice versa. Um, didn't close on the right angle. Um, so we had to learn from that. And then it kind of had a couple of things that snowballed on us that were really unfortunate in the game. And so, um, matter of fact, I forgot that game. I don't even know if we ever played Western <laughs> Kentucky again so, uh, before. So um, we've moved on and tried to work on that. And the kids really responded well. And I think that uh, you know New Mexico State tried to run a few of the things they did, and we, we fit them up better and, and handled it better. Offensively for your team in, in this game against New Mexico State, seems like you guys were keeping with, you know, that quick pace, uh, you know, keeping the defense on their heels. You know, talk a little bit about that aspect of your strategy and, and what, what went into your offensive game plan for this one. Well, we, we've been working on the running game, trying to get that going. And our, we finally had our full complement of our linemen there. And then our, our quarterback was done, starting to understand the reads and, and, uh, and our running backs were hitting it downhill better. So we were able to do that. And then, you know, our quarterback was um, making some good completions on some different routes and uh, we're getting the ball on the edge to our running back. So we, we executed some of that stuff well um, and, and felt good about it. Um, we didn't play quite as fast as we have been playing 
Um, we kind of changed up a little bit to help us for what some of the things that New Mexico State was doing um, so we could help our quarterback kind of see some things a little bit better, uh, which I think helped us. Staying with the offensive side of the ball, your quarterback, Grayson James, doing a real solid job for you all so far. Seven touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, what does that mean to have a sophomore leading your team and handling himself the way that he is right now at such a critical time for the program? It's, it's excellent. You know, he's he's really growing up in front of our eyes. I know you heard that before, but you do see it. Uh, Eric's probably seen it better than I have because he saw him as a true <laughs> freshman. And, you know, and, and he's been able to handle and learn from mistakes and then been able to see some things. And the game, the game is starting to slow down for him. And when it does slow down for the quarterback, then his athletic ability. And when you see the young man in person, you don't realize, I mean, he's really big. I mean, he's almost 6'3". He's 240 pounds. He's really athletic, and he's starting to realize how big he is, how he can run, um, and take advantage of that. And uh, so um, we've been excited to see him improve on on a daily basis. Coach, beginning very soon, you know, next season, you're going to be in a league with New Mexico State. So in preparation for this game that you all just played, uh, any insights that you learned that will you think will help prepare you for future contests against New Mexico State? Well, uh, Jerry Kill's an excellent football coach, and we're both starting kind of the same year, you know, and he's turned around a, a couple, two or three programs like we've been able to, too, and I, the, their team will get better as, and our team will get better. So I think it'll be a lot of really good games, and I think they'll be a very good complement um, to um, Conference USA. When I was in the WAC, we played against New Mexico State. So that was my third time to, to Las, Las Cruces. And so um, I'm pretty familiar with the program. Yeah, so definitely familiar with that Aggie program. Eric, I know this was your first time to Las Cruces. And with that, I'll, I'll pass the baton to you here. He, yeah, was out, was... he was eating a lot of Mexican food. We never even hardly <laughs> saw him. <laughs> that sounds like hey, Eric. Yep. Listen, you know, uh, coach is ahead of himself because I'm going to come back to the food. You know, I got to go back to the, the the Nashville trip or at least, you know, the, being in that area because I, I definitely yeah. overdid it in, in that area. So I'm going to come back to that in a oh, second. Yeah. Back. <laughs> but um, exactly right. But want to want to start with you here. You know, something you said to me post game, and I want to make sure that you know our, our greater conference USA audience uh, hears this. Obviously, the FIU audience knows this, but the, the greater audience that we have here on this podcast. When I asked you post game, what you told the players, uh, you said, thank you for believing in you guys as a staff and thank you for believing in each other. Coach, you've been a part of rebuilding you know, programs before. How crucial is that? I think that's something that really caught my attention. It's really interesting because obviously you can you can talk to your blue in the face about all the concepts and, and new environment and whatnot, especially coming off a loss the way you did. How, how crucial is that the fact that the, the players didn't stop believing in what you guys were trying to preach? Uh, it, it's the it's the most critical factor, and I use the word belief, but also use the word trust. Um, to accomplish anything, you got to trust each other, right? And and to develop a family atmosphere, develop a caring atmosphere, because there's always going to be conflict within it. There's always going to be um, things I like to tell them. You kind of get punched in the face. I always tell them there's no conflict. There's no story. Um, there's always a lot of um, different. Um, adversity that hits you um and i think our team is i don't think i know our team's getting closer and closer that's all part of it that's why we do so much team building away from away from football um is to just get to know each other in a in an atmosphere where there's not as much stress so you develop relationships so they know when the stress hits that you do care about them and 
Um, you know, football is also an emotional game. So there's a lot of emotions that go into the game that, you know, people get upset, people get excited. Um, and so when you are able to believe in each other and trust each other, um, you can fight through all the outside different things that happen to you. Um, and I, I don't know, um, that was a huge test to have the, 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 the bad, bad day. Um, the nightmarish day, I call it, at um, Western Kentucky. And for the young men to keep looking us in the eye and the coach looking in the eye, nobody blink and go back to work and then turn around and do what we did at New Mexico State um, a week later. Um, most people, besides just the kids in that locker room and the coaches, probably didn't think that could happen um, like it did. So um, that showed that they really did trust. Again, if you just join us, we are joined by FIU head coach Mike McIntyre on the line. Coach, uh, I had a chance to talk with Larry Bluestein. Of course, anyone in South Florida knows Larry Bluestein, the local legend. Yeah. Radio show on 560. Right. And uh, when I was talking with Blue, did his radio show the other night, he was talking about the fact that, you know, he's he's hearing about the FIU staff no matter where he goes. He saw you out, I believe it was the Miami Central game a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Just wonder if you could talk about the importance of really ingratiating yourself and your staff in that South Florida community, giving, you know, allowing them an opportunity to get to know you and know your staff and know what you're trying to build this program. Right. It's it's beyond crucial. That's that that was the one of the defining factors in me wanting to come to FIU. Uh, of course, I was born here and know a lot about the area, but just all the how important football is and how it is in the DNA. And and I know a lot of different schools come in here and recruit different kids, uh, but there's a lot out there, and we're we're really trying to make inroads with all the high school coaches, all the different um, you know principals, everybody involved. Um, in Dade and Broward County, and I, I definitely think we are. Uh, we've been to every school as many times as we c- we can legally, and and been out to, to games. So um, that is a big process. Again, that's again, you know, it's out shaking hands, meeting them, letting them see us, letting us know them. It's not just a text or a phone call, which we do do, but I think you have to get out there and 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 you know, and beat the path, so to speak. And our, our coaches are doing that, and. Um, and Larry does an unbelievable job. It's great spending time with him at the Central Gang. All right. We're going to listen to this podcast. You know, we like to have a little fun with our guests. So going to have a little bit of fun with Coach Mack before we uh, ask him a question right. about UConn previewing this week. Coach, uh, tell me about the Platling Blackhawks. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the Platling Blackhawks, they, all, they also were the Degendorf Blackhawks. Okay. So my brother um, went over there um, to play. And so then one summer, because their schedule's a little different, when I had some town time at UT Martin, I went over there and for a summer and was a uh, coach for them, helping them get everything going. And my brother was actually playing. Um, and so uh, it, it was a lot of fun. We still stay in touch with a lot of those guys from there. And Jurgen Kotz used to run the team. Now, now we're all older. Um, and they are now the Platinum Blackhawks. Uh, it's right there. That's those two towns are really close together. Um, it, it was a it was a tremendous amount of fun, um, and uh, we kind of helped them. It's kind of like the soccer league. They were in a lower league, and we helped them win the championship. And they moved to a bigger league, and they were celebrating it. It, it was quite a bit of fun and uh, a really great time. And then for years, I've sent. Haven't done it in the last few years, but for about ten to fifteen, about fifteen years straight, I would always send kids over to play that were on my team that had finished playing, had finished up their, their time and they weren't NFL players and they wanted to go kind of see Europe and play for a summer. Um, so it was a lot of fun doing that. 
Coach, I did say we'd come back to the food, so I'm going to come to it here. I, I took a little bit of heat <laughs> on social media because I I tweeted out after the uh, after getting back from Nashville, covering the game of Western Kentucky, that you know I had never had banana pudding uh, until yeah. recently, and uh, I know that uh, your wife Trisha uh, does have a, a famous yeah. banana pudding. So I'm asking two part yeah, question. She does. One, one um, is it is it that flagrant of an offense that I had never had banana pudding and now 31 years old and B um, is the key to a good banana pudding vanilla wafer I need to know both of those other things there well no it's not a, a problem that you haven't had the banana pudding the good <laughs> thing is you the, the you have something to look forward to in your 30s you know now <laughs> so that, that's the, that's the big thing you get the benefit and then my wife makes the best banana pudding in the world the kids always see her she she makes it for them every week and they they always want it. Um, now the key is I love a lot of bananas in my banana pudding. Some people don't like as much, um, but there is no doubt the wafers are the key. Um, and uh, we actually I actually like it's kind of funny. I actually like the little vanilla wafers because you can have okay. more of them, and they're all throughout it um, instead of the bigger ones. Um, that's just kind of a, a, a pet peeve of mine that I like. But vanilla wafers are are a huge key in banana pudding, no doubt about it. Two more for you. We'll get you out of here, coach. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize, or a lot of people may not remember, I should say, uh, that you spent four years in the NFL from 2003 to 2007, both with Dallas and, and the Jets. Coach, you, you had a chance to, you know, be a defensive backs coach with a, a lot of great defensive backs. Did, just did the research there. Roy Williams, Darren Woodson, you know, Darrell Rivas, et cetera. Just talk about your time coaching those guys. Maybe kind of, you know, any, any wisdom that you may have learned from, you know, those great defensive backs and as far as you could, uh, your own coaching experience. Oh yeah, I learned a, a, a ton from them. You know, the, I was four years with Dallas and one year with the Jets. Uh, you know, working under Bill Parcells is like getting a PhD. Uh, I learned so much from him. Uh, we had a lot of great guys on the staff that um, have gone on to be head coaches and and in all different places. And 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 uh, um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the you know working with Terrence Newman and Roy Williams and Darren Woodson was phenomenal. Um, it was it. it really inspiring i tell you uh darren was amazing um i got there his last year he's a leading tackler in cowboy history at the time he was um the uh had uh, had three super bowls four-time pro bowler and he kind of just took me under his wing i was a young coach and i'll never forget we were having our first ota meeting and then we got through and he was the only one sitting in there and i go darren what's up he goes all right hey coach when you go out there today when i mess up get on me so then everybody else would get in line I said, all right. And it just, you know, that was great leadership. Um, and then he would be the last one to leave the practice field, and I would stay out after with him, and he would work on tackling on a tackling dummy. And I said, so I would tell all the young guys, that's why he was the leading tackler in the league. It wasn't because he just could tackle. He worked on it. Um, so, And then Terrence Newman and Roy, were they were pro Bowl all four years I was coaching for the Cowboys. That was pretty fun. They were great players and, and a, lot of, a lot of great guys. Last one for you, Coach, and we'll get it, get you out of here. And again, if you're just joining us, we are joined by FIU head coach Mike McIntyre on the line. Obviously, coming off the, the victory, looking to continue that, looking to build a little winning streak here. I have not had a two-game winning streak in in over two years, or actually two seasons, I should say. Uh, got UConn coming up. Just uh, if you want to preview that match a little bit with us, obviously, they have a, a freshman quarterback in Zion Turner, local kid from South Florida, and Jim Mora in his first year with UConn. We talk about the, uh, the matchup with the Huskies a little bit, Coach. Yeah, Zion is their starting quarterback here from St. Thomas Aquinas. He's done really well. Of course, I don't know if he ever lost a game in high school. I think he might have lost one. Uh, he knows how to win. He, he does an excellent job for them. 
Uh, you know, Coach Moore, I, I know Jim pretty well. Uh, we went against each other at UCLA, and he's a coach's kid. I'm a coach's kid, so it's uh, um, that's all part of it. They, they're really a big football team. They're, um, they're, they're, they're the biggest football team we've played this year, might be the biggest we play all year, their size and their length. Um, and they, they're, they are, uh, they're going to try to smash Malthus and run the football on us and, uh, and then take shots. They do a good job defensively. They're really sound. Um, they do a, a, a good job on defense, got big physical defensive ends, and their safeties tackle really well. Um, they've been very in, 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 they've been, they played a really, really, really hard schedule. Um, and so they played some, we had some really good teams and, um, that's, um, kind of made their scores look out of whack a few times, but, um, they're, they've really, they played really well last week against Fresno, um, and, and look, um, you know, very physical to me. All right, Max, that's all we got for you. Appreciate you making the time, Jeff, on the podcast with us. Obviously, I will see you Saturday, and um, I will take to note the uh, the advice on the banana pudding. You know, extra bananas and the small wafers. I to keep that in mind. Exactly. It's, it, it, it's good. No doubt about it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Coach McIntyre for joining us. Really enjoyed hearing his perspective on that huge win for the FIU program. And, you know, Eric, I know you've been traveling a lot. You got to be exhausted, dude, from just getting around so much. And I, I haven't done as much uh, traveling for football this year. And hopefully and that the way that it's shaken out, looking like that's going to be the case for most of the rest of this year, which is disappointing. But uh, there's always bowl season. So we'll see. But um, you know, I, I've never been to New Mexico State Stadium, so I'm interested. What was the press box like in that situation? Well, it's interesting, Joe. First off, New Mexico State has a fine press box. I mean, it, you go across the G5 landscape and they kind of run the gamut of things. You know, some of the older places, they're a little bit smaller. Uh, some are open air, you know, some a little bit warmer than others. But it's a fine working environment. But there is tends to be a common thread amongst G5 press boxes. At least I'd say of my travels, Joe, I'd say about 60 to 65-ish percent of the, the press boxes, whether, you know, been G5, uh, Conference USA, you know, others, right? So I'll kind of try to paint this picture for listeners who have never been inside a press box. Normally, you have the press row, which is in the middle, and then to each side, to the left or to right, you usually have, you know, your radio booth, um, the TV booth in in Aggie Memorial Stadium is actually a level up top. So TV is not in there, but normally you might have the TV booth. Uh, you have the replay, the spotter booth, which at FIU Stadium, my seat in the sta- in, in the press box is right next to the, the replay and spotter booth. So I can usually hear Joe ahead of time when a replay is going to be called for or when they're going to stop the game for, you know, targeting or something to that effect. And, and of course, last but not least, you have the coaches boxes. So in, in this bigger stadium, the coaches' boxes are pretty, and, and probably the case, and again, about 60 to 65% of the G5 stadiums I've been to, not only are they within earshot, they, they're like right next to the, um, the, the press row. Uh, it's, it's this way, for example, in Charlotte, at Jerry Richardson Stadium. You're right next to the FI, uh, to the, to the um, depending on what side you're on, right next to the road or home coaches' box. So it just got to paint a visual. Uh, imagine you're sitting there, you know, you're working. Uh, it, you got a period of silence, you know, because we're not you know, obviously in, in media, you know, we don't share. You can't you're not doing a ton of talking. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, uh, this and, and I'm not going to say where it came from, but this uh, just breaks the silence. And Taylor, feel free to add a, a funny sound effect or or a beep if you'd like. Uh, and for the listeners at home, it's a rare non PG uh, 
word coming from us. <laughs> a period of silence, and then all of a sudden you hear, shift over, f- <laughs> and it's just one of those funny things it's like oh yeah this in no other working environment do you get that it's just like the sounds of football yeah you know i think it's, it's similar with a lot of different um sports related backgrounds but like the version you get in the media podcasts etc is very sterilized <laughs> it's just a lot <laughs> which it probably should be uh, just you know for for some reasons other reasons obviously not but stuff like that is very funny <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you know this this wants to give our, our listeners you know kind of a uh an inside look at things that you know the the general public usually doesn't get to uh to hear so yeah maybe i'll drop another one of those before the season's done who knows <laughs> do you do you think we can get away with putting that on a shirt <laughs> um yeah actually as a matter of fact we might want to try and you know get some merch here going all right, Beth, make it happen. Beth, I can hear both of us. <laughs> go, go ahead. All right, with that, we got some week six previews to dive into here, and um, it's going to be another fun slate within Conference USA, starting with uh, UAB hosting Middle Tennessee at 3.30 Eastern on Saturday the 8th. UAB minus nine as of Monday heading into that one. Um, You know, this is going to be one of those games where MTSU is going to have to take better advantage of the opportunities that this uh, UAB team gives them. We've seen, obviously, they're not bulletproof this year, uh, but that ground game is still there. That defense is still playing pretty well. That front seven, uh, not one you really want to mess around with. Uh, Chase Cunningham, as good as he is when the weight of the uh, when the weight of the team is on his shoulders, you know, this just doesn't seem to me like a team where they're going to have a lot of success by throwing 50 times a game. And that's no disrespect to Chase Cunningham. That's no disrespect to Jalen Lane or anybody. But you've got to have a more balanced attack. And we've seen that in the games where MTSU has won this year. So hopefully they can get back to that if they want to win this. But ultimately, I think this is a game where UAB is going to come back and correct some issues that they had against Rice. Clearly, that team's got to be angry to put it lightly with themselves for the performance they had in that game, particularly late. Uh, I think they bounced back of the win at home here. Yeah. This one is going to be one that I'm keeping my eyes on because as I've talked about throughout the podcast, it's a big cluster right now. You got a big group of teams that are all kind of wanting to break out, looking to break out as we're in conference play. Now, remember there are no divisions, so it ain't going to be a matter of who had X amount of, you know, wins in the East or the West. It's, it's all straight up, straight down. So huge game for both teams. I do think UAB rebounds. I think they're going to pound the football. That's going to be a huge test for Middle Tennessee's defense. But I I think we've learned, Joe, you can't count out Rick Stockstill's club, you know, especially coming off a loss or they've seemed to really be able to kind of game plan. And it'll be interesting to see how they game plan for UAB. Because again, I I think you have the aspect of preparing for the run and also the boomer bust offense the boomer bust passing game Tell guys like teldrick ross you know he's going to have a lot of responsibility as one of their leading tacklers at safety but also as a cover guy as well i am thinking uab but again it would not shock me if middle tennessee finds a way to pull off the upset again yeah it's teldrick ross has played really well to start this season but in in the utsa game he he got he got sunned by zakari franklin a couple of times so He's definitely looking for some redemption here. And as you mentioned, UAB's passing attack really depends on the success of the play action. So I, I would imagine they're going to be looking for those throws deep. 
At 6 p.m. <laughs> Eastern, we have UTSA hosting Western Kentucky on ESPN Plus. UTSA minus six and a half heading into that one. Rematch of last year's COSA championship game, of course. Um, the, both teams, I think, not really super thrilled with the way they performed um, last week. Of course, UTSA still got the win. Uh, just the amount of offensive mistakes in the first half. Um, I'm sure they're going to be looking to correct that just knowing the way that uh, Jeff trailer and, and Frank Harris seem to think in that regard, but um, it, it's going to be a tough one. Rashad wisdom on the defensive side of the ball is going to have to play a game. The whole UTSA defense is going to have to play well. And really what's going to be key for them is putting Western Kentucky in a place where you're going to have to make Austin Reed throw 50 to 60 times a game and just start slinging it around and you got to make him tired and feel that pressure. You know, um, he kind of said it post game. He's really only had two instances where he's thrown more than 50 passes. I believe one was this past weekend against Troy and one was that D two national championship game. Um, and obviously it's a different level of competition in D two versus FBS. So that's my that's my thing. I think UTSA is going to win and they're going to have to do it by getting a good start and making Western Kentucky play from behind. I think I agree with the first half of your point that they need to get a good start because. You know, you don't necessarily want to fall behind to the Western Kentucky offense, but I do think if we're flipping the if we're talking about who's more equipped to play from behind, it's not to say that, you know, again, anyone who listens to this podcast knows I feel about Frank Harris, Frank. I think he's more than answered his questions, the questions about him as a passer and being, you know, a dual threat guy, someone who has is equally dynamic, and equally dangerous, both ends of things. But I just no feel like Western's, yes. Yeah, I just feel like Western's offense is more equipped to necessarily to, to play behind uh, in a, you know, probably a better situation necessarily compared to UTSA's. So I, I, I am torn on this game. I really anyone. You guys know how I feel about Tyson Hilton as a coach. I think he is one of the better, not only just a game day coach, Joe, but during the week, I think Tyson Hilton is responsible for, you can take any team in America in my, or virtually any team in America in my mind. And if you put Tyson Hilton as their coach, I think he's going to give you uh, maybe a a win or two that they probably shouldn't have had otherwise. Just that's how much I think of him as a, as a game planner. (sighs) It's tough. Um, You know what? I'm, I'm going to go Western Kentucky. I, uh, I think the Hilltoppers will respond. I think Austin Reed, I think they'll find a way to jump out early, especially got to keep an eye on Rashad Wisdom's uh, health for this game. I know he missed last week and he probably should be back this week, but let's keep an eye on that. But I I just have faith in in the Hilltoppers. I think they'll find a way to get a win. I think the offensive system is well-equipped to play from behind. I think Austin Reed is going to have to prove that he is well-equipped to play from behind. Does that make sense? Sure. No, that's 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 a very fair distinction. Absolutely. Okay. Moving on from that game, we got FIU hosting UConn, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. The Husky is minus four heading into this one. This is a fascinating matchup. How many drink every time we say fascinating this podcast? <laughs> but um, FIU and UConn, I think, are in very similar places as a program, both starting to you know build themselves back up from historically bad stretches. Um so this is going to be a fun litmus test for both of them to kind of see how they stack up against each other with the way that FIU played against New Mexico state last week. Um, as I kind of mentioned with coach McIntyre, I think the tempo is going to be key. If they can keep things moving and just keep the Yukon defense kind of on their heels, that's going to be a big key here. And then defensively, if they can pressure 
if they can pressure UConn's backfield the way that they have, um, the way that they have in a few of these games, um, UConn's quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. There's not a lot of experience in that room. Um, there's not a lot of experience playing in high pressure games in that room. Um, uh, you know, and they've they've switched out a lot of different guys, so the consistency is an issue there. Um, UConn's had their moments. They played uh, Utah State pretty tough to start the year. Uh, their wins have been against uh, a Fresno State upset last week, which was ultimately pretty surprising. Um, and then they beat uh, FCS Central Connecticut State in week two. So, you know, I want this makes me want to go back and watch some more film of that UConn game from Fresno State last week because that was that that was a huge win for them. And obviously, everybody had pretty high expectations for Fresno State this year, but they're one and three to start. Um, all that to be said, the, to make this pick, it would not surprise me if FIU somehow pulled this out. But the fact that UConn beat Fresno State this past week that makes me think they have a little bit more momentum going in their in their favor. Joe, all fear things you said there, and really quick, we're playing the drinking game. Play the drinking game of how many times I say on this podcast, listeners of this podcast, uh, every time I listen to this podcast back, I'm like, why is that? Oh, I've been drunk since 2017. Yeah. You know, we all kind of have like a verbal (laughs) tick, like a transitional phrase. That one's mine. I I, got to cut down on that. Never the bus. We all have them. Don't think about it. But (laughs) if if you want me to keep, if you want me to keep drinking, I'll keep drinking. Yeah. 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 Um, Hopefully you haven't been drinking on this podcast. Um, here's the, it's the, so funny when you were just not amused by something I say because you're like, uh-huh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Joe, we've been doing this now for five years. How many times do or am I, you know, I've tried to do like, well, here's the thing. Most times those moments come during like a cultural moment, right? Well, you're uh-huh. me- you'll mention something extremely white and I'll have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And I'll try to fake my way through it with a laugh and you'll realize that the laugh is fake and you'll call me out on it, right? But uh-huh. this one, yeah, I guess... I guess it didn't hit. Eh, I'll work on I'll work on my fake laughter uh, tomorrow. <laughs> it's 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 been a tough couple of weeks, you know. I'll forgive the I'll forgive the bad fake laugh this time. You know, like I felt like we had that moment when when Willie Taggart came on and said, you know, his pregame song was "The Man Right You." You know, like I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah. Nevertheless, all right, FIU and UConn. Here's the deal. Uh, those are the reason I say those are all great points you make is because you look on paper. It's a, this game is actually a four and a half point spread in favor of UConn and FIU on paper. They're going to get some guys back. They, they should get Devon Strickland back for this game. They should get a week healthier on an offensive line that is very banged up, but, and this is not to, you know, we had coach McIntyre on. This is not to downplay the fact that what they had, especially Joe, especially responding from the 73-0 loss to Western Kentucky. I think that's what makes that win for FIU very impressive. An extremely young team that, as Coach Mack said, they trusted and believed in what the coaches are telling them and in each other, which was very easy to do after you lose 73-0. to But with that being said, New Mexico State is a program that's been rebuilding, and they have been for the better part of the past like nine years prior to Jerry Kill. The entire Doug Martin era felt like a rebuild. It's not to say that UConn isn't, but beating New Mexico State, it's not as impressive as UConn beating Fresno. And you talked about some of the quarterback situation. I don't want to say issues, but the quarterback situation at UConn. I mean, it's been Zion Turner's show. You know, Zion Turner's a local kid from South Florida. It's been his show. 
from one of the most storied programs in St. Thomas Aquinas. And we're going to see, you know, a local kid coming back. You know, he's going to want to make some things happen. It's tough. I want to pick the Panthers, but I feel like I'm just inclined to go with UConn. Just looking at things on the surface, you compare those two wins. I think I'm going to go UConn. But, but, but one last thing, Joe, quarterbacks who are not like great passers in a very small sample size here for FIU, they've shown that they've been able to defend that. I have to say that Zion, Zion Turner isn't a great passer, Joe, but for anyone who's not familiar with his game, he only threw for about 5,000 yards, maybe a shade under 5,000 yards in high school. Um, So he's very much a dual threat guy. So if his legs are not, you know, if his legs aren't the main part of his game and they have a great rushing attack as well from the running backs, but if those things aren't working, FIU is going to have a good chance of winning, but I'm picking UConn. I know the whole thing is like get excited for games between teams with low expectations now, but I'm legitimately excited for this one to see how these teams stack up against each other. All right. And then to round out the slate, we have Louisiana Tech hosting Rice uh, also at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN plus Louisiana Tech minus three heading into this one. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this one. It's been a couple of weeks since we watched Louisiana Tech play, but I have a little more faith in UTEP after the last couple of weeks. They need to you know, continue playing the way they've been playing, establish that run game, keep the opposing offense off the field, because as we know, any kind of sunny Cumby offense can uh, put some points up in a hurry. The problem there is there's been some mistakes a lot um, coming from Louisiana Tech's quarterbacks this season. And, you know, I, I don't know if being able to, you know, one of two things is going to happen. They'd use that bye week to let it go, improve the things they need to improve, or they've just been stewing in, you know, the the negative thoughts that enter your head when you have games like uh, like what we've seen from them uh, a couple of times this year. So uh, we'll see what comes out. Ultimately, I think I'm picking UTEP for the upset in this one. You're picking UTEP is for the upset? Yeah, Louisiana Tech is minus three. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's why I, I, mean, I heard everything you said. I had not looked at the spread, so I was like, what? It would be an upset. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm quite frankly bewildered and stunned. Listen, as I, I will shout out this person on record, uh, the great Walter Villa, uh, my cohort there at, at, at in the FIU press box. He is the FIU beat writer for the Miami Herald. Walt is a, uh, a, a seasoned vet of the journalism game. And more importantly, he's a seasoned vet of life. Walt dropped this dime on me a few years back when I picked FIU to win Conference USA in a year that I think Vegas had them to pick, uh, had them to win six games. He said, all those big buildings and hotels in Vegas weren't built on being wrong. So as much as I like want to just roll my eyes at Vegas and throw like I'm Joe, I'm bewildered at that pick, to be honest with you. They must know something I don't. But okay, Um, that aside, I, I don't see louisiana tech uh, yes utep is anyone who knows utep's history they you know as you mentioned earlier in this podcast joe it was their first win on the east coast i want to say they're one in seven all time at joe alley stadium so hasn't been kind to them but this is me saying i know more than vegas i don't think those two teams match up on paper you know very well just in terms of defensively utep even though they don't have Breon hayward they have enough pass rushers uh, these guys who can make plays in jadron taylor and praise amahule uh getting after the quarterback I, I don't see enough of a running game there i think tyrus knight's gonna make plays behind the line of scrimmage i think gavin hardison's gonna hang on to the football enough so give me utep yeah you know vegas uh, i think they you know they they built the hotels and casinos off of knowing a thing or two about college football but 
there were some other things in there too, you know. <laughs> so such don't, as don't, um, you know, mafia stuff. I think Frank and <laughs> Sinatra there was there at some point. Something about two dollar lobster, you know. This Vegas is a whole hodgepodge of different interests. If you haven't known, this podcast brought to you by Visit Las Vegas. Bring your kids, except <laughs> don't, because I hate those people. Anyway, <laughs> see, I mean, because listen, it's not like a Miami situation. I thought that's what you're hitting at. It's not like a Miami situation where the bulk of South Florida has been built off of insurance fraud and you know mm-hmm. other things. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Vegas and South Florida in terms of industries, there's one specific industry that I don't think Beth would want us to talk about on this podcast that I feel like they have in common, but we won't go there. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll cut, we'll cut ourselves off there. Well, um, thank one, one, one last thing, Joe, sorry. Yes. Uh, since, no. since I'm just, you know, feeling all uh, entertaining today uh uh-huh. shout out to jared mcdonald because we didn't uh sum up this you know loose end of our podcast he brought the shrimp chips i forgot to mention last week and you know what joe uh mm. j mac said he wasn't super impressed but joe you you said like they were a suitable shrimp substitute and i i, I gave you crap not bad i'm a little higher on them than jared so i i, I gotta give you credit sir pretty good i didn't i mean i wouldn't say they're a shrimp substitute i mean what did they you taste what's your burpees again do you remember I, I mean they taste enough like shrimp that it's like okay i see why they're called shrimp <laughs> chips they are made with shrimp so i wouldn't say like i wouldn't what's the difference between that and call them a shrimp substitute i mean i wouldn't put say <laughs> i wouldn't say shrimp like these shrimp chips are not like if you have like a shrimp based entree, don't just replace it with shrimp chips. You know what okay, I mean? They're just, they're enough. just a fun fair like enough. snack that tastes kind of like shrimp. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, okay. That's fair. I'll give you that. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to whatever nonsense we put together each week. Uh, <laughs> it's this is, this is fun. Um, tune in next week for more CUSA uh, stuff. And then we also have the sun pelt. We have the sun belt podcast as well as the aac one and um check those out on itunes and spotify and your podcasting platform of choice as well and uh, be sure to follow us on twitter at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore and at eric c henry underscore and of course at underdog dynasty for more g5 football content every single day um check out the stuff we got on the site right now it's probably good at this point um happy football watching everybody we'll talk to you soon